everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, I got Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know is plotting on when he's gonna get that Julio Jones jersey. Ethan, how you doing today? I'm good, and I'm definitely plotting. I'm thinking about trying to get it for my father-in-law first before I get it for myself. Oh, he's he a Titans fan too. He, he a big Titans fan. Like he he. He's way bigger of a Titans fan than me. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it's been, aside from these past few years, it has been kind of rough being a Titans fan, so he's earned it. He has earned this moment, and hopefully it all works out for him. But in talking about Julio Jones, we talked about what it meant for the Titans last week, but this week we're going to talk what the trade means for the Falcons. We're also going to take a look at the second round of the playoffs, especially the current games, and how we think each series is going to play out. And then we're going to close out this show with my NFC TakeOver In Your House predictions because they are tonight, and I am very excited. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat. The XReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Now, like I just mentioned, we talked at good length about what this move means for the Titans, but what about the Falcons? Julio had spent most of his career, his first nine years of his career there, and now he's down in New Jersey. So let's start off with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan loses his top target throughout his career. What do you think this change is going to mean for him? I ultimately think Matt Ryan might be traded by the trade deadline of this season. We knew that he, we heard that he was a hot topic throughout this offseason. And just because, like, we know the Fabs are in, like, a super rebuild mode. They drafted Kyle Pitts, who he, I know a lot of people saying he might play some wide receiver. He, I feel like he's going to play a hybrid role, similar to what Travis Kelsey plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, but we know that the Atlanta Falcons, what they're trying to do now is they want draft picks. They want to be the Oklahoma City Thunder of the NFL and amass a lot of draft picks. And in order to do that, you have to tank. So they're definitely, I feel like they might get rid of Matt Ryan to a team. Like, I could see maybe a Pittsburgh, maybe I could see being in a situation where Big Ben gets injured throughout the season because he, we know that he has a history of injury. And then once he um, gets injured, they make a move. Because we know that the Falcons, they gave him Julio, uh, Julio for a second and fourth. Who's to say they don't give him Matt Ryan for like a second and a third or a second and a fourth? And he could go to a team and either be an expensive bridge gap or like a quarterback for like the next three to four years for a franchise. I'm going to disagree in talking about trading Matt Ryan, or at least during the season, mainly because had they drafted a quarterback early, I think I'd probably jump on that bandwagon with you. But I think that because of this year, I think they really want to try to get the most out of Kyle Pitts, especially with Julio being gone, the role that he was anticipated to have, I feel like it's going to be even bigger. So I think that they want to see where their offense is right now with the weapons that they have with a known commodity in Matt Ryan. So I think that without Julio, it's definitely going to be a bit of a blow, especially because just because of the rapport that they built. I mean, he even said so himself. Julio was the best thing he ever happened in his career. But in a much more realistic tip, over the last few years, he has gotten a bit used to not playing with Julio, which has required other guys to step up, like Russell Gage, and most importantly, Calvin Ridley, who is now set to assume that wide receiver one responsibility. So 
in your opinion, Ethan, do you think that Calvin Ridley is ready to take on superstar status as a number one receiver? Because here are some of his stats when Julio has not played. Week three against the Bears, five catches, 110 yards. Um, week five against the Panthers, eight catches, 136. Against the Panthers, again, week 12, six catches, 50, and a touchdown. Against the Chargers, week four, I mean, yeah, week 14, eight catches, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Against the Bucks, week 15, 10 catches, 163 yards, and a touchdown. Week 16, five catches, 130 yards, and then week 17, eight catches, 52. I definitely think that he's ready to assume the wide receiver one role because it's interesting you listed off those stats. I actually looked up those stats before we even talked about even bringing up Calvin Ridley, and I was like, this is a guy that's ready to, like, take off. And I think that you have, you'll be out of the shadow of Julio. Yes, he would have all of the attention from the opposing defense, especially the secondary. But Calvin Ridley, a lot of people don't know, he's one of the most underrated route runners in the NFL. Like, I listened to a podcast with um, the Book with the Bulls podcast, and they had A.J. Brown on there. And all he did was talk about how people slept on Calvin Ridley and how he was, like, one of the best route runners he's ever seen. So I think Calvin Ridley is ready to make that jump to wide receiver one. I do, too. I think that, like I said, in the times that Julio has not played, Calvin really has really stood up. He stood up for himself and played fairly well. And I think that because now you can make an argument, well, defense is going to focus in on him more. But, I mean, the Falcons still do have offensive weapons. Kyle Pitts, he's supposed to be one of the best um, young tight ends in the game early on in his career. Of course, you have Mike Davis, who had a really solid year with the Panthers this past year. Hayden Hurst is still there. Like I said, Russell Gates has put on some solid performances as well. So it's really, as much as you want to hone in on Calvin Ridley, you can't just try to stop him and it opens other things up. And so I think that Calvin is going to have a really good year as well, as long as he can stay healthy. He has that rapport with Matt Ryan, and I think that he's really going to go leaps and bounds and show what he can do. Let's talk about another wide receiver who has time and time again shown what he could do but was ended up being traded to the Arizona Cardinals last year. And, of course, I'm talking about DeAndre Hopkins, who has strong opinions about the Julio Jones trade and said, I was only coming off a of first-team All-Pro, so I kind of figured I might only go for a second round. But I was surprised a guy like Julio would go for a second rounder. He followed it up by, I would like to see a first-round pick that can do what Julio and myself do. He excluded Justin Jefferson from that conversation just because of what Justin did as a rookie. But do you feel like the NFL is devaluing uh, veteran wide receivers, or do you think it was just mismanagement by the organizations themselves? I think the NFL devalues veteran players, period. I know, I think I saw it on Twitter where it was Twitter Hope that said, a proven player in the NFL is way more valuable than a draft pick. And uh, I completely agree because we know what their player is going to give you. Like, we know what a healthy Julio Jones adds to a team. We know what a healthy DeAndre Hopkins adds to a team. But you get a draft pick, when you get that draft pick, you have to do proper scouting. And who's to say, you can even scout right. But the player just doesn't live up to the potential that he shows that he showed in college. But if you have a guy that's a proven player, a guy that's been producing year in and year out in the NFL, in my personal opinion, it's way more valuable. Yes, they will have years on them and they might have a couple of injuries, but you don't know what you're going to get with that drafted player. I think that 
I think overall, I do agree. I think that the NFL, as players get older, they start to lose their value, particularly at skill positions like running backs or tight ends. Like unless, well, I'll take that back. Even if you are putting up great numbers, as we've seen, it's not really going to change, make a, much of a difference. But I mean, I think in these certain situations, I think it was more so a matter of the organization. Like in the case of D-Hop, I think everybody clearly knows that Bill O'Brien is just not the best GM mind. That move was a terrible move, especially considering later that day, Stephon Diggs went for a one to Buffalo. And while Stephon Diggs is amazing, let's be honest, he's not as good as D-Hop. But the Vikings and the Bills were smart enough to try to get the most bang for their buck. And it worked out for both sides. Like the Bills got Stephon Diggs, who had a career year, and then Vikings got Justin Jefferson, who was great. But I do agree with what Tory Holt said with regards to taking a veteran over a rookie because players like Justin Jefferson, that's an anomaly. Because, like, as great as Justin Jefferson was, you'll have the Jalen Ragers of the league who will disappoint. You'll have the Henry Ruggs who are supposed to be just so great, and then they just don't produce what you expected them to. It's very rare that you're going to get such a strong, immediate production from a rookie. And while I understand for some teams who are trying to go in a younger direction or who are in a bit of a rebuild going that younger way, I think that teams, case in point, like the uh, Patriots, how do you not be willing to give a one for Julio? You know, Colts, how are you not in that situation? Like if you're a team, like I said, if you're a team that's trying to rebuild, that's one thing, but if the but I mean, hey, the Falcons apparently their thought process was if we don't have to help pay the rest of Julio's salary, we'll give them to you for a two. Which I mean, considering how bad their cap situation was, I get it, but still, it, it's baffling to see a cat like Julio go for a two. I was, I would do it if I was a team, and especially a contending team, I would definitely give a one for Julio or D Hop with without any hesitation. But unfortunately. Not everybody thinks like that. But let's talk about another player who could potentially be traded. Everybody's favorite, mullet-wearing, jean-short guy, Gardner Minshew, who reports out of Jacksonville are saying that Jacksonville would apparently be willing to accept a fifth or sixth round pick for Gardner Minshew if a team were trying to trade for him. So while it's looking like Gardner Minshew may have seen the end of his days as a starting quarterback, what team do you think could use him as a backup? I would say the Green Bay Packers simply because we know that they have a lot of drama going on in their organization and we also know that if Aaron Rodgers actually doesn't play we don't know what we're going to get from Jordan Love and yes, Garner Mitchell isn't a world burner of a quarterback but he showed flashes of being a pretty competent starting quarterback and I think that you could potentially slide him in Let's say, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up and he gets traded before the season starts. You can bring him into Green Bay. He'll be able to step in and, you know, if Jordan Love falters in his play in any bit, he can potentially give you a boost. He might even give you a game or two. And I feel like he's the type of guy that people in Green Bay would love just with a mullet, just his personality. Like, I feel like fans there would love him. So I would say Green Bay. Another team that I think Green Bay would make a lot of sense, especially just with all the uncertainty going on, but I'm going to go with another team that loves big personalities, and I'm going to say the Dallas Cowboys. 
while all this ridiculous hype is on the team and how, oh, they're just going to go so far, people like to forget that Dak suffered a serious ankle injury last year. And this is a quarterback you just gave a whole lot of money to but have gotten not much in return. And so who's to say he won't get hurt again? Like I said, it was a really serious injury. Ankle injuries are tricky. And we saw last year when their backup situation, we're going from uh, Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, uh, Garrett Gilbert, and that cycle and how bad it was for the team. It showed that they needed a competent backup to at least try to keep the offense afloat. And I feel like with Gardner Minshew, you're getting an upgrade over Andy Dalton and everybody else who took a snap last year. So I think that he's a nice insurance policy God forbid Dak Prescott gets hurt again. So that would be the direction that I would go in. But all right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with Cam Newton, who, as we all know, the Patriots drafted Mac Jones with the 15th overall pick, and it seems like he is the future. But that does not mean that Cam Newton is done, according to Chris Sims. In fact, he said uh, Cam Newton is still one of the best, 20 best quarterbacks in football. For my money. It's not about quarterback stats all the time. It's the effect you have on the football field. So, believable or buffoonery, Cam Newton is still a top 20 quarterback in the league. Um, when healthy, if you're not talking about stats, you're talking about impact, I can potentially see it because the thing that Cam Newton brings to the table is he can essentially be a third running back or a second running back. Like, if you get into a goal line situation, you don't know who's going to actually get the ball. Is it going to be a handoff? Is it going to be a fake handoff if Cam Newton goes for the touchdown? But overall, his impact is big when he's healthy, but I probably would say I don't think he's a top 20. I would say maybe 25 in most. Yeah, I mean, 20 is like, it's pushing it. If it was 25, I'd say yeah. Because we're just talking in terms of, like, right now, how many other quarterbacks are better if I had to pick between the two. More times than not, I'm probably going to go in the direction of Cam Newton, excluding a few teams. And I think that, like you said, the caveat is, is he healthy? But, I mean, last year he was mostly healthy, and as we saw, he didn't have that great of a year. And his stats weren't that great despite starting multiple games. And you can say, yeah, he can still run the ball, but, I mean, it's clear that the Patriots are not a team that are tailor-made for his best skill sets. This is me saying I think he goes somewhere and immediately is just a great starter, but I just think that – I think – I would say it's buffoonery, too. I would say 25, yeah, but 20 is, like, pushing it. Because if this was a few years ago, I would say, yeah, without a doubt. But just from the last few years of Cam Newton, I think that – I just, I think I got a hard time buying that one. I think he can be impactful, but I'll just say this. If he really was a top 20 or a top guy in the league based off his impact, I don't think that the Patriots would be so high on Mac Jones. I feel like they would have taken their time on getting a quarterback instead of using their first-round pick to do so. But that's just me. But all right, let's talk about another quarterback who undeniably is top 20 and beyond. Russell Wilson, who said this of the Seahawks drama of earlier this offseason. I love this city. I love this place. I love everything about it. For me, personally, I hope I play my whole career here. That's my mission. That's my goal. I did not request a trade. Calls were getting thrown around, and that's the reality. But I'm here to win. I'm here to win it all. Believable or buffoonery, the drama in Seattle was all overblown. I think it's believable. 
trade. He said, like, hey, if you guys were I, this is what I want. I want you guys to improve my O-line. I want to stay in Seattle, but if you guys trade me, this is where I want to go. He never said, like, hey, trade me to these things, and I'm out of here. And I think just because he's a quarterback and because he's, in my opinion, one of the top, top five best quarterbacks in the league, I think people are overreacting to it. And I definitely agree that I feel like in some ways it was overblown. Yeah, and I think that, of course, during the NFL offseason, because games aren't being pay- played, people are just ready to jump on whatever they can to get that excitement. You know what I'm saying? Especially because in the NBA, there's always things going on. With the NFL, especially like that weird time between the draft and the season just ended, like not much is going on. So anytime you hear displeasure, especially from great players like Russell Wilson, everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon and try to see what it's about. But I think it was overblown as well. I mean, of course, if you're a player of his status and you're being told and you're hearing all this stuff about potentially being traded, of course you're going to want to have a pick of where you get traded. But like you said, there was never anything from Russ himself that said he wanted to be traded. And if people are trying to get on, think, oh, well, he was talking bad about the offensive line. Well, yeah, since he's been in the league, his offensive line has been terrible. There is no problem with him expressing his frustration with the line because they need to do their job. So, literally, in his time in the league. So, of course, he's going to be frustrated. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it was overblown. And I think that his main focus is trying to win in Seattle because you never really hear anything bad about his relationship with Seattle and him wanting to leave Seattle. That just comes from media noise or people just trying to get clicks. So, yeah, I, I call uh, believable that it was overblown. Let's talk about another quarterback situation. Mason Rudolph, backup quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but more, most notably known for getting hit in the head with a helmet by Miles Garrett. He's putting that behind him and looking towards the future in which he said that he his goal is to be the Steelers starter in 2022. He said, that's my goal, to be the starting quarterback in the league and for my team. So, Ethan, this is, I guess this technically isn't believable or buffoonery, but uh, fast forward a year from now, who was the Steelers quarterback? Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, Big Ben, or a rookie? And real talk, you know, I don't want this to happen, but I mean, 
if let's say Dwayne, I mean Deshaun Watson holds out this year and isn't traded and Big Ben retires. If I'm Pittsburgh and they're going to have a whole bunch of cap space, I'll be willing to sell the house to get Deshaun Watson. So that would be my top priority if I'm Pittsburgh. But speaking of Deshaun Watson, I swear that was not on purpose. His former teammate, safety Kareem Jackson, said that he wants to be a Bronco. Um, according to Kareem Jackson, he said that he told that um, – Deshaun told him to tell the team to come get him, that he wants to be a Bronco, that the Broncos are his choice, whereas um, Ian Rappaport said he doesn't believe that Denver is where he wants to be, just one potential spot. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, Deshaun Watson wants to be a Denver Bronco. Uh, I actually think it's believable. I, kind of, I don't think that it's his primary destination, but I think that it's like maybe his top five simply because he has a young staple of wide receivers that he can grow with, you know, they have Jerry they have Courtney Sutton. Um, I forgot who their other wide receiver is. KJ Hamlin? Nice, yeah, they have a nice staple of wide receivers, and they're young, and he's a young guy, so, like, they all have to grow together. Just imagine if they grow together, and, like, they actually potentially reach their peak at the same exact time. Like, they could be one of the most unstoppable offenses in the, in, the, in, the, in the field at this moment. So I can see it being one of the options of where he wants to go, which is not his main option. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. I mean, honestly, I think that Deshaun is pretty much willing to go anywhere that's not Houston. I think he just wants to get the hell up out of there, which I totally understand. And so with that being said, and I think that Denver is a really nice spot. I think that – had Denver not be been in the AFC West, I think that it would be a, a team that a lot of t- quarterbacks want to go to just because look at what they're building. Like you said, they have a really nice young receiving core. Their defense is really good, especially if these secondary moves panned out. They're getting Von Miller back, which is also cause for excitement. So Denver overall is an interesting team to watch. Their biggest problem is quarterback. And for a team that, I mean, for a quarterback in a disgruntled spot, I'm sure that they would be more than willing to jump that bandwagon and go there. So... Do I think it's the number one spot for Deshaun? No, but I could definitely see it being a spot that he would like to go to. All right, let's talk another quarterback, Kyler Murray, who was a two-sport athlete in college, and there were even rumblings of him ditching the potential to play in the NFL to play baseball. Um, He continues to talk about the possibility of playing in the MLB at some point, but he knows that as of right now, it's probably not going to happen. He just said, I'm not trying to start anything. I'm just talking. But he keeps the possibility open. So believable or buffoonery, Kyler Murray will play in the Major League Baseball at some point of his career. I believe, I, I think it's believable. I can see him potentially playing in spring training, kind of similar to what Russell Wilson did. I don't think that he will make it on like a full-on Major League roster simply because I think the amount of um, responsibility it takes to be an NFL quarterback, like, it's overbearing. Like, I don't think that you will be the type of guy that can play. Like, I don't think it's a Deion Sanders situation where you can play most sports anymore, especially at that position. But I definitely see him playing, like, make a spring training game here and there. Yeah, mostly because quarterback is such a valuable position. It's like, if you're the quarterback – you have a pretty short leash because nobody wants to risk you being injured. And while baseball isn't as physical of a sport as football, I mean, 
anything could happen. And with regards to Russ, I mean, you can make a strong argument that that was just trying to make sure he got his contract from Seattle because that was all during the same offseason. So he was just showing Seattle, hey, if y'all don't want to pay me, I have other options. And I think that Kyler Murray could try that as well sometime in the future. But, I mean, hey, anything is possible. Do I think it happens anytime soon? No. But if it's towards the tail end of his career or he feels like things aren't going the way he wants them to with football, I can see him making that transition to baseball. But, all right, final piece of Believable and Buffoonery. And we got to talk Jordan Love, who, as we all know, Aaron Rodgers did not attend mandatory uh, training camp this week, which was a really surprise to no one, which meant that Jordan Love took a good amount of the uh, um, number one quarterback uh, reps, to which um, he was asked about, he said, "Uh, yeah, that's what I'm here for. I was drafted here to play quarterback, so I'll definitely be ready week one. Believable or Buffoonery, Jordan Love, will be ready to showcase his ability week one and play well. In uh, one second, why you? I'm going to look up who they play week one because I do not remember. Okay. And they start their season off against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans. Inconclusive as opposed to um as opposed to just going with yes, just because we really haven't seen a lot of him. And so because we haven't seen much of him, it's hard to really decide how far he can go. But just right now, like you said, the Saints are a tough opponent, even without Drew Brees as the starting quarterback. I mean, they still have a solid defense. Sure, you can make their questions about their secondary, but, I mean, Marshawn Lattimore is definitely a top 10, at worst, top 12 cornerback in the league. They have a nice group of safeties. They get pressure with Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport is starting to come on. So, it, it's going to be a tough place to play. New Orleans is definitely one of the toughest places to start a game, especially as this is essentially your rookie year. So, yeah, no, I disagree. I don't think he'll be ready for week one. But, all right, let's talk NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this week's action? Top three takeaways are that it's it's starting to like the NBA playoffs. You know, it's been a lot of leagues where it's been two old leagues and people think the teams are just going to get blown out of the water. Case in point, me and Waterkey, I'm currently watching the game now, and they're up significantly against the X. And they're looking like they're going to tie the series up 2 2. The same thing with the Clippers. The Clippers look down and out, and they seem to have found a way to get themselves together and, and get a W. So it's, you can never count a team out in these playoffs because, unlike the regular season in a seven game series, you can plan, you can have counters to your schemes and keep game planning differently for your opponent and see how that works out. Um, number Number two, it's unfortunate that Jamal Murray isn't able to play this postseason because I feel like if Jamal Murray were to be able to play that, this would be a completely different postseason for Denver simply because Nikola Jokic, he's the MVP of the league, but right now 
they're just simply overmatched in Phoenix. Um, DeAndre Aiden, surprisingly, he's been playing. He's been outside of game three. He's been playing great defense on Nikola Jokic, and it's just one of those things where it's like if Joker had his running mate, it would make a significant difference. And number one, um, I think the Atlanta Hawks they ran they ran into their one they ran into their kryptonite. Like overall, they they're a great team. They have a bright future, but they ran into a team that have a a multitude of big athletic wing defenders that you can throw at Trey Young and a Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul and to a lesser degree Danny Green and they also they just don't have the size to match up with Joel to be like yes they signed a Clint Capella but Clint Capella is more of a help defender he's not a one-on-one defender and Joel to be basically the average in 40 SO series so I think they they ran into the perfect storm on the team against Philly and I think that now with um, Kyrie Irving having his ankle injury, depending on what it looks like, I can see Philly being the favorite to come out of the East. All right, I feel you on that. All right, let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, I got Kevin Durant. Really just been balling like we all know. I mean, especially now with Kyrie being hurt, I can only imagine how much harder he's going to be going on the court. I mean, the stats just back it up. This was an easy choice for my mom of the week. For me, I have to go to Joel and be, like I just stated, this man is averaging 39.5 points in these series against Atlanta. And he's dominant. Like, he's looking like the guy that, in my opinion, should have won MVP before he got injured this past season. Agreed. All right, let's talk the Western Conference Mamba Player of the Week. For me, I'm going Donovan Mitchell. While I love me some spider, I am not jumping on the Stephen A. Smith bandwagon, which we'll get to later. But, I mean, he has just been dissecting the Clippers this uh, playoffs. I mean, we saw it with Luka just one series ago, and not much has really changed with Donovan. If anything, he, what he's doing might be slightly more impressive just because he doesn't necessarily have the – all the skills that Aluka has. But no matter what, he's still been able to dominate. I mean, he's making the Clippers look bad almost single-handedly. So I got to go Donovan. For me, I'm going to go with one Chris Paul simply because he's showing that when healthy father time might be defeated slightly. This man had a 17 and 15 assist, a 17 point 15 assist game where he had zero turnovers. And he's the only person in the NBA to do that multiple times. So I got to go CP3. All right, I feel you on that. All right, let's give some congratulations to the uh, NBA award winners that we know of thus far. Of course, starting with Nikola Jokic, who was named uh, league MVP earlier this week. Congratulations to him. Uh, Rudy Gobert collects his third Defensive Player of the Year award, which... We could talk about that. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, as we both said, uh, should have happened, is named Coach of the Year after this year. As we all know, Julius Randle was named the league's most improved player. Jordan Clarkson named Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, Bucks Drew Holiday was named the NBA Sportsmanship Award. And uh, Damian Lillard was given the Twyman Stokes Teammate of the Year Award. The only award now that we are waiting on is Rookie of the Year, which probably is the toughest one to pick out of them all. So I know you, we both have our thoughts on Rudy Gobert winning the third defensive player of the year. So talk to me about that. I mean, I understand that he's 
people of that nature. But it's, it's easy to have the, like those type of defensive measures where you're seven foot. You have, if I'm not mistaken, the second long, the second highest wingspan in the NBA within like with like the seven nine wingspan. And like all you do is really just stand there and block shots and affect shots at the rim. The only thing I we I can't give him credit for is saying that like to be a seven footer, he's very well conditioned and he's very um mobile. A lot of times you have those guys that's that big and they they lumber around and they're tired and they can't really move. And he can't really move in the sense of like guarding someone one on one. But as far as like his timing and recovery timing, he's great. But it, I just think that, you know, given the scheme that they use him in, it's kind of easy to just keep saying him because the numbers are going to be bad to him. Like he's seven foot and you're going to have guys that are like six foot, six foot three and six foot five and below driving towards him at, at the rim. Yeah. So he's obviously going to affect like percentages when you're that long. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I think that pretty much what he's been doing this year is just what he's done historically and throughout his whole career, which makes him a great defensive player. But in terms of just comparing this year to the past years that he's won Defensive Player of the Year, I don't think that he should have won it this year. I don't think that this was his best defensive showing because while he used to be a more um, intimidating presence in the last few years, that's kind of fallen off a bit to now players don't really care if he's in the paint or not. They'll, they're willing to take their chances. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'll say more times than not this year, it worked as opposed to years in the past. I'm not even a Ben Simmons fan, but I feel like if you ask me, I would have gave him Defensive Player of the Year just because he took made major strides in that aspect of the game. But you win some, you lose some, don't really matter because let's be honest, we know he's not the best player on his team, but hey, he's still got some hardware. But let's talk about a player who was never considered the best player on his team, but God damn it, he's going to make sure somebody thinks so. And that's Scottie Pippen, whose new book, Unguarded, his biography, is set to be released in November of this year. Here is the description of said book, the official one. Simply put, without Pippen, there are no championships, let alone six. There's no last dance, no Michael Jordan as we know him, no 90s Bulls teams as we know them. Pippen details how he cringed at being labeled Jordan's sidekick, dealing with MJ on a day-to-day basis, gaining more respect, serving as the real leader of the Bulls locker room. Ethan, in terms of this book, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how petty do you think it is? And do you think it may do more damage to, I guess, the persona of Michael Jordan than The Last Dance did? Uh, I think that it's extremely petty. As far as damaging MJ's image, I think it's going to have an effect, but it's also like, we all, everybody look like MJ is one of the most prominent figures in sports in the, in the history of basketball. I don't think like, it's hard to damage his image because he's done playing. It's different if they were doing it, if this book came out while they were playing and currently, like, the things that he did. But it's, it's in the past. Like, yes, it's good to hear it, but it's like, you can't really damage something that doesn't really have any value anymore. Right. So, I can't really say I think it'll damage his 
much more. I think when it comes to beloved athletes or like just figures in general, if people love them, they're gonna love them. And sometimes it does not matter what they do or what they're accused of, they're going to have their fan bases. Like the last dance showed MJ was really hard on his teammates and sometimes he was an asshole. Did people stop loving Michael Jordan? No. Did people all of a sudden say, oh yeah, Scotty was the man, Scotty was the best player? No. They recognized he might have got a little bit more respect than before. But it was still MJ's show. And I kind of think that's similar to what the book, this book is going to do. Like, the part about dealing with Michael Jordan on a day-to-day basis, like, that was over 20 years ago. Who cares? Like like you said, if, it was hap- if this book came out while it was happening, while MJ was in a national spotlight and was playing, that's one thing. But now it's just kind of like you crying over spilled milk. Especially because Scotty was one of the players or one of the people who was not happy with the production of The Last Dance because he felt like it featured MJ. But it's like, the let's be honest, Michael Jordan was the Bulls in the 90s. Yes, Scotty Pippen played a great role on that team as well as Dennis Rodman, even Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson. There were other people who helped make it happen. But when you think 90s Bulls, 99.9% of the time, your first thought is going to be Michael Jordan. And I feel like, he had the inclusion of Michael Jordan, even in the biography of the book, just showed that one, it's petty, and two, you know nobody's really gonna read it unless you talk about MJ. If it was really just a book strictly about Scottie Pippen and what he did and did not mention MJ at all, aside from like them winning championships together, nobody's really gonna read that book. Nobody cares. But they wanna hear the drama, and I think that even though it's petty, it's also smart on the side of Scotty to try to be fuel that drama and feed into what people are going to read because he wants to sell books. So is it petty? Yes. Does it going to damage MJ? Not necessarily, but at least Scott is going to make money off of MJ's name. All right. Let's talk about a player who's not MJ and he doesn't want to be Scotty, but truthfully, he's not playing good enough to even be compared to Scotty. Next, Christoph Porzingis, who after this last showing, well, honestly, throughout the whole season, it was tough for him in Dallas. And reportedly, Porzingis has been frustrated and often feeling more than an afterthought rather than a co-star to Luka Doncic. As Luka dominates the ball in the spotlight, even some reports saying he wants to get out of Dallas to regain his status as a star. In your opinion, do you think that Kristaps is going to ever get back to the heights he was in or at least the statistics and overall career that he had when he was in uh, New York, or do you think this is pretty much his role now? I think he could reach those heights. I think the difficult thing of it is is that the way that the Dallas Mavericks run their offense is the ball is going to be in Lucas' hands 90, basically 95% of the time. And he's going to be the guy that makes all the decisions. And the thing of it is, is like, Przingis isn't the same player that he was in New York health because of health reasons. Like, in New York, a lot of people fail to realize, like, Przingis was a 7-3 power forward hitting guards and big men with crossovers. And he was a, he was like a gazelle when he ran. He made, he was able to handle the ball. He had a jumper, like, he, he was a unicorn, and because of the injuries that he amassed over the course of time, he's not really a unicorn anymore. So, 
I don't think that he will match the type of numbers that he had in New York. I think that he could be a far better player, slightly. Well, I'm not gonna say a far better, but a slightly better player than he showed in Dallas. But I don't think he'll be able to be a star level player ever again. I don't think so either. I think that. I'll say this, if he is the best player on a team or the team star, it's probably a squad like Orlando, a team that really doesn't have any other options. So because of his past glory, that's really what's getting him opportunities. But realistically, like you said, injuries are going to have an effect on you. Even if you bounce back, they're still going to have a lasting effect on you, whether you notice it or not. And I think that with Kristaps, that's something that's been happening. And then it's only made worse when you're playing with the cat like Luka Doncic, who can do everything. And so, of course, it's going to make things a bit more frustrating for you because you're used to being that star, especially in New York. Like, that is one of the best media and fan bases in all of sports. And so having millions and millions of people in New York hyping you up to being second fiddle, if not worse than that, in Dallas, I'm sure it's going to have an effect on him. But unfortunately, I just don't see him going back to being the unicorn. And so it's like, either you can be that next guy up to Luka and just be there, or maybe you can take his chances on a team that doesn't really have any playoff aspirations or nobody really thinks they're going to be there. Or you can just go to a team that has another star and you're still not going to be the best player. I don't really see any of that changing, honestly. But let's talk about a team that and a player that look to be on the cusp of a change, and that's Kimball Walker and the Boston Celtics. As reports this week have been coming out, that it seems that both parties would like to go their separate ways this offseason. Now, I know last week we kind of played a game of believable and buffoonery in the case of Kimball Walker, but with it seeming more realistic that he could be on the move, what do you think is a team that would be a nice fit? So far, I've heard Oklahoma City. I've heard uh, Chicago, possibly Portland, if they were to do a swap for uh, Kimba for Dane Lillard. But what do you think will be a team that would be a nice fit? Uh, I, could, I could see the Oklahoma City Thunder simply because we know that they're a young team. They don't really have that much veteran leadership. And we know that Shai Gilchrist Alexander, he's a guy that uh, he's, he's good with playing with other great perimeter players like he him and Chris Paul thrive playing together and they really enjoyed each other and I think they could have not necessarily something similar because Kim was a completely different point guard than um Chris Paul. He's more of a scoring guard. But I think that they could have a nice little backcourt dynamic if you had Kim, especially if Kim was healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think that like you said, this year what was severely lacking in Oklahoma City was veteran leadership. It's all fun and games, you know, you get younger players, you get all these draft picks, but it comes at a loss. You're still missing out on something. What you're really missing out is that veteran presence. And of course, I know that Al Horford is there, but he just doesn't count because that he is not fit, fit since he got there. But with the likes of a Chris Paul losing a player like that, that's going to be a big blow to the locker room. And not saying that they don't have any competent other players or mature players, but I think that without having a figure like CP3, it's going to have an effect. So I think that I think that a player like Kimba, while he does not have necessarily the leadership pedigree that a CP3 has, I could see it being a really nice fit just to get another veteran in that locker room. But right, let's in continuing the talks of changing locker rooms. 
The Indiana Pacers have finally decided to fire head coach Nate Bjorgan after his one year with the team with the 34 and 38 record. They finished ninth in the East. Ethan, if you were a head coach prospect, do you see Indiana as a desirable job? Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to realize they have Malcolm Brogdon, they have Karis LeVert, who's back healthy, who showed in the bubble last year that he could potentially be a, a star-caliber perimeter player. They still have the Monty Sabonis. They have a guy, Miles Turner, who, in my opinion, in the beginning of the season, should have won the defensive player of the year because he was averaging like three or four blocks a game. Like, they have some pieces that you can – Use and build around. I think it'll be a good place. They don't have the um, they don't have the quote unquote star power or big market attraction. But as far as like talent on their team, they have some really good talent there that can make them a good spot destination for a coach. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think a team, a coach who is like I'm, I'm trying to think of like a Doc Rivers. I don't think Indiana will be a team that he would want to go to because just because you said, like, they lack that star power. They have young players who have potential and have, you know, had great games or had great moments. But in terms of overall consistency or just overall, like, this cat's a star, they don't really have that. So I think that it would attract a certain type of coach. Like, I think Terry Stotts would be a good fit because, I mean, for when he first got to Portland, that was kind of their situation. Dane really evolved into being a star, uh, as did C.J. McCollum. He evolved to being a really good player. So I think a, play, a coach like him would be a good fit. But I think, like, the more established coaches of, like, championship pedigree – I can see it not necessarily looking like a desirable job just because they want more of a finished product, a team that kind of like the 76ers who had the potential but just need a little extra oomph to really get there. But all right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery NBA edition, starting with Stephen A. Smith calling Donovan Mitchell the greatest Utah Jazz ever. He said, I don't want to hear about Carl Malone. I don't want to hear about John Stockton. Donovan Mitchell is the best player in the history of the Jazz organization. Believable or buffoonery? Um, it's buffoonery for right now. Because in my opinion, that title belongs to John Stockton. John Stockton is he's, he's a guy that a lot of people would sleep on because of the way that he played. But in my personal opinion, he's one of the top ten best point guards of all time, and he honestly has he has one of those records that you think will never be broken in the amount of assists that he had for his career, and maybe also he steals. Like he was a guy that played good on both ends of the court, so I have to go with John Stockton. Yeah, I call buffoonery too. Even though I'm a big fan of Spider, like I mentioned, like at the top of the segment, but overall, it's just like. I have a hard time giving anybody the distinction of being the greatest after what? This is his th- fourth season? Third or fourth season? Third or fourth, yeah. And while he has been great, I mean, let's be like you said, John Stockton holds the record for most assists. This is a team, he and Carl Malone were a part of a team that went to multiple finals. Did they win? No, but I mean, it's tough winning in the 90s, especially with the other teams, not to mention the other teams in the Western Conference that they had to get past. But they still outperformed because even in their time, nobody really thought that they'd be able to do it or get as far as they did. Carl Malone, whatever people's personal opinions are, I mean, he was a prolific scorer. At his time, he was one of the best big men in the league at the four position. So I just think that 
Recency bias is like a huge thing in sports, especially when you're trying to get clickbait. And this is like a clear example of clickbait. I love Spider, but no, I'm in agreement with you. I would have to probably go John Stockton or Carl Malone as a close number two. Speaking of greatest, Dirk Nowitzki, who I would guess in most people's assumption is the greatest Maverick of all time, said that Luka Doncic has already eclipsed him as being the greatest Maverick of all time. I understand Dirk Nowitzki is one of the most humble players to ever step foot on the NBA court, but this is mad buffoonery, and I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to let this man undersell his career like he just did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dirk is the greatest Maverick of all time at the current moment. Yeah, and it's, it's not even cool. Like, Luke, it's the same thing, like I said, with Donovan. Like, what he's doing is great, but it's what your importance on that team and that organization and I, I know a lot of people, like, he hasn't even won a ring yet. Well, yeah, that helps. But if Luka continues to play like this over the next 15 years, then you definitely have an argument. But right now, just three years in, absolutely not. Dirk was amazing. Even though I'm, not, I'm still upset how they swept my squad when they won the ring. But it's fine. At least. I, mean, I was going to also say, a lot of people fail to realize, if it wasn't for the greatness of Dirk, Luka wouldn't even be in the NBA because we went a long stretch where people were starting to get away from drafting foreign players because a lot of teams were trying to find a next third. Like, case in point, the Toronto Raptors, no, not the Toronto Raptors, even it was the Toronto Raptors or the New York Knicks. I forgot who drafted Andrea Bonyani. But he was another seven-footer that could shoot, and they thought that they drafted the next third, third and he didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. And so, at this point, a lot of guys were, like, turning away from foreign players. And they continue to some degree because of Dirk and his greatness. Right. And, I mean, because even if we want to change the scope of greatest Mavericks, I mean, one of the greatest foreign players to ever come into the league. Like, he has an argument for that, too. So, it's just like, I get you want to be humble, and Luka has been balling, but overall, I mean, Dirk's – I mean, let's be honest. Take Dirk out of the history of the Dallas Mavericks. What are they known for? Who is the next player that's like, oh, yeah, he was great too? Steve Nash in his time there, he was a solid player. Um, Jason Terry was entertaining to watch. But realistically, you take Dirk out of the Dallas Mavericks, and the, comp, the list is just – it's pretty barren in terms of who's up next. All right, so let's talk the Portland Trailblazers, a team that is looking like they're bound for a transition, but according, not to, accordingly not to their uh, general manager, D Neil Oshley, who said Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, and Robert Covington will absolutely return to the team next season. Believable or buffoonery, all of them are coming back. I call buffoonery. I call I'm thinking it's believable for the time being. 
I yeah, I'm, I'm calling buffoonery. I I think that Robert Covington stays though, like you mentioned, because he's the most defensive-minded player on that team. But I think that of the four mentioned, I could see Nurkic being gone mainly because just injuries have really plagued him these last couple of years. And as we always say, the best ability any player can have is availability. And he really has not been that available. And even when he has been on the court defensively, he's been a bit of a liability. And in, even in the way of the game, if you can't protect the paint, you can't really do anything because, honestly, most offense comes from behind the arc or in the paint. And if you can't protect the paint, especially as a big man, you – you're not going to last much longer, and I think that's going to be the case for him. All right, let's talk uh, some Jason Tatum, who Kevin Durant following the first-round series said this about the young man. I had series against Kobe, LeBron, Tim Duncan, the Memphis Grizzlies. Jason Tatum is in that conversation now because he's that elite of a player already at 23. So, should we consider Jason Tatum of the elites in the league right now, believable or buffoonery? particularly the 50-point game, where he really put the team on his back. I think that it's clear that his game is better when the people around him are better. And he, while he can carry a team, unlike the guys that we mentioned, we haven't really seen him do it on a routine basis. And so because of that, I wouldn't put him in that elite class yet, but I think he's definitely working towards it. All right, now this is one that I'm just going to come out even before I say it, which I think is mad buffoonery, but I like the confidence. DeAndre Ayton uh, recently talked about his fellow 2018 NBA class members and said, I think it's the best class in NBA history. It's been great to watch us young guys go at it. We're not backing down. Just a few guys who are part of that 2018 class. Aiden went number one, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson Jr., Colin Sexton, Michael Porter Jr., to name a few. So I know you're going to say you disagree that it is the greatest of all time. So let's change the question. Do you think it has potential to be the greatest class of all time? Oh, yes, for sure, because... Luka Doncic has the potential to be the best player in the NBA. And the thing that classes the greatest class of all time, in my opinion, which is, I think is the old 4 class with Wade, Melo, Bosch, and um, Braun, but they have, they had a guy, they had multiple guys that could have, in any given moment, could have been took the best player in the NBA. I think that Luka can still take place like once LeBron retired and maybe KD or even not even necessarily KD retired but Luka could be a year or two away from being considered the best player in the NBA he's shown flashes of it already and I think that they have the potential I think the only thing that's stopping them is like their class currently right now is being carried by the name of just looking at Trey I guess Jaren had a great couple of seasons, but he hasn't been healthy. DeAndre Aiden, he's 
just not showing the type of player that he can be in these playoffs and getting the better thing out of this ball. He saw things when he had to be anything consistent. So your job play is really dipping off the height of only two guys. And I don't see like I don't see it being considered the best class if it's just two guys carrying the job play. Right. I think that it's that's why I think it's kind of foolish to try to say something's the best class before it being not even five years. This is just three years ago. So I have a very hard time giving them that distinction. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, they're really being carried by Trey Young and Luka Doncic. And, I mean, Luka is far and away the best player of that class. And Trey has shown a lot of flashes. He's been a great offensive player, even though his game may not be as well-rounded as people would have liked. But, yeah, I think that in time, I don't think – I just don't see it being able to eclipse – the old uh, three, I mean, old three, old four class, and I don't think it's gonna eclipse the uh, '96 class, which personally I think is the best. And so I just think it would take a lot more than those two guys, like you mentioned. I think that everybody would really have to take a step up because even of the guys that you know that I just mentioned, how many of them really are the best players on their team? There's Luca and there's Trey. DeAndre Ayton isn't isn't the best player on his team. Jaron Jackson isn't the best player on his team. Michael Porter Jordan, I mean Michael Porter Jr. is definitely not the best player on his team. So it's like maybe in a few years, but for right now, I don't see it happening. All right, last piece before we make our uh, predictions for the rest of the second round of the playoffs. Uh, CP3, who one could argue is the best player for the Phoenix Suns. Um, it's a lot of belief that if he were to win a championship this year, it would push him in the top five uh, greatest point guards of all time conversation. Believable or buffoonery, CP3 has to win a ring to be put in that conversation. I think there's some belief to it, simply because, well, no, I'm wrong. I think it's buffoonery because John Stockton is, in my opinion, considered one of the top five greatest point guards, but he hasn't won a title. Right. So I think that Chris Paul could definitely earn some consideration simply because of his longevity and what he's done throughout the history of his career. And now, if he wins a title, I think he submits his place in the top five. Yeah, I think, because I mean, personally, if you ask me to pick between Chris Paul and John Stockton, I'd go Chris Paul. While John Stockton, the assist record is amazing, I just think that he still – John Stockton played for the Jazz his whole career. He didn't have to get accustomed to change, and he also didn't really have to deal with the amount of injuries that Chris Paul dealt with. But I feel like in terms of having a better, well-rounded game, I think that Chris Paul has one. And let's be honest, even in that conversation, in that vein, John Stockton isn't really considered the top five guy, or he's somebody who you have to make an argument for in most cases. But I think that if he wins a ring, I could see CP3 being put in that conversation. I think that unfortunately, because with the emphasis of what point guards are today, especially like the scoring types, it it'd be tough for him to beat out, you know, Magic, who was usually a consensus, a cat like uh Steph Curry, who is the new generation of what a point guard is supposed to be, has literally changed the way basketball is being played. And then you can make arguments for uh, Oscar Robinson 
like you said, Isaiah Thomas, uh, John Stockton. So it's like it's a lot of cats, but I think that if he can win a ring this year, I think it will put him in the top five. Because if you want to be technical about it, with everything that he's done, at worst, CP3 shouldn't be work beyond top eight, if you ask me personally. But all right, let's look at the second round of the playoffs. You pretty much called it earlier. The Milwaukee Bucks have tied up the series 2-2 um, after this past win. All right, so talking about that, do you think the Nets have a chance if James Harden is still out and Kyrie cannot go? I don't because their offense is predicated on having five fire close from at least two to three guys. And the way that they run their system is a system is designed to be ran through having two superstars. I think the players around them they want they aren't good enough to carry them to a team past the books. So I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either because while Kevin Durant has been great, I mean, their depth is just – it's been kind of spotty. And while Blake Griffin is apparently – and most people I just come back from the dead, him is your best – your second best player. I don't think that that really inspires as much fear as we would like in terms of like a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving. So if Kyrie can't go, I think that that's pretty much the series as well. I'm in agreement with you on that. All right, let's talk uh, Philly versus Atlanta Hawks. They play tomorrow. Any chance that the Hawks can come back, or do you think it's all she wrote? Uh, Philly leads 2-1. I think Atlanta might win a game, but I think just alluding to what I said earlier, I think that that game that they played, the first game one where Philly, I think Philly actually lost their game to them. Yeah, they lost they game played. one. They made it close, and they almost came back and took it. I think that was the wake-up call that's going to be. I think that they took Atlanta lightly simply because they thought that they could just rely solely on talent instead of realize that Atlanta has some talent on their team also. And I just think that Joel Embiid is tired of losing in the playoffs. We, we clowned him the year that Kawhi beat them at the, um, when he was in Toronto for the way that he was crying walking off the court. But as an athlete and as a man, it's like when you cry like that, you're going to remember that moment. You're not going to let that moment happen ever again. So I think that it's over for now. Yeah, I'm agreeing with that. I think that, like you said, I think that they could potentially get one more, but when it's all said and done, I really don't think that. I don't think that they'll be able to match it. I just think that Joel Embiid has been too dominant, and I think that defensively it's just it's a tough matchup to make. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. All right, let's move on to the West. Phoenix Suns can sweep the Denver Nuggets tonight if they win. Do you think the sweep happens, or do you think the Nuggets stay alive? I think it's going to be – I wanted to see them pull them one game out, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, but I think that – I think Yoki's going to get them one game. Yeah, I think that this – I think this is really where you test your MVP mantle. Like, you are MVP. It's official now. Now show us why you're the MVP. Because it's easy to be the MVP in the regular season, but when your team's backed up against the wall, what are you going to do? And so I think that in this instance, I think Jokic shows why he's MVP. I think he helps to wheel them into the victory. But in terms of the series, I think that the Suns pretty much have it sold up. 
right, let's talk the Utah Jazz leading the Clippers 2-1. They play again tomorrow. Clippers, do you think that they're able to battle back like they did against the Mavericks, or do you think the Jazz are the team to beat? I think the Clippers are actually going to battle back. Um, we made fun of the Clippers, but I think it just takes them a little while to understand how to properly attack the team. And that also was shown, like, in that last game, they a lot of defensive tenacity. Like, yes, Donovan Mitchell, he still was able to have a pretty good game, but they were far more stingy defensively, far more aggressive. And he just wasn't having open yeah, I'm in agreement. So I think that I think that Kawhi is really recognizing that if anything's gonna go down, he's gonna have to do most of the work. And I think that he has shown that he can do it. He's a trustworthy guy, one of the most trustworthy guys in this time of the year to be able to do it. So I think that he'll be able to pull it out. And overall, this series, I think they tie it up tomorrow. And I still think the Clippers end up winning, but I think that Donovan Mitchell is going to get his flowers like Luka did when the series is up. But all right, let's talk some WWE. All right, now time for probably my favorite part of the show. It's time to make predictions for NXT TakeOver in your house, which on the one hand looks like it is going to be a great entertaining card and on the other has one of the toughest main events that there is to predict but let's go ahead and get started because like i said i'm excited starting off with the winner take all uh six-man tag match where it's going to be msk who are the nxc tag champs alongside bronson reed who is the north american champion taking on legado del fantasma like i said this is a winner takes all match and even though i would love to see santos escobar wearing the gold again i think this one is pretty cut and dry bronson reed just became the north american champion and if it was a one-on-one match i think it'd be a bit more intrigue but i do think that he holds on to the belt same for msk i think they're right now they're best for business in terms of being champion so i think that the faces hold on moving on to zia lee versus Marte- mercedes martinez now you guys know how much i love mercedes she's one of my favorite women in the business today she's so exciting to me and unfortunately i just feel like she never really gets used to the best of her abilities with that being said I still don't see that necessarily happening on Sunday. Not that I think that, you know, it's not going to be a great match. I think Zia Lee is incredibly talented. I just don't think that Mercedes is going to get that takeover win this year. I think that maybe next year, but not happening this year. I think with Zia Lee, this is the first time that she's really going to be able to showcase this new and improved character, especially on a bigger stage. And I think that between these two women who are both, like I said, incredibly talented, I think that this is going to be a match that could honestly potentially steal the show i wouldn't be surprised if this match is better than the nxt women's championship match that we'll get to later but as i said i'm going zia lee moving on to the ladder match for the million dollar championship a title that i didn't know i wanted back until a couple of months ago um i think that with cameron grimes who honestly is just so much fun to watch and i think that la knight he has the brass um the brass i'm sorry I'm better than you attitude to where initially it's like really LA Knight like what would he have to do with this storyline but it kind of makes sense because he has that million dollar attitude whereas Cameron Grimes has the million dollars uh with that being said I'm gonna go Cameron Grimes I think Cameron Grimes is 
I think that he because he's so zany and such a freaking fly in terms of being so annoying like as a character we often forget that he's really good in the ring too his resume and his overall record may not necessarily back that up but you watch Cameron Grimes and you just see he's such a great guy in the ring and, you know same of course can go to LA night but I think that in terms of character and just with who he is right now you know I kind of feel like they're turning him to a face which kind of sucks but I think that he's somebody who you wouldn't expect to possibly carry on the legacy of the Million Dollar Championship, but I feel like with him as that, I think it can be pretty fun. While I don't expect it to necessarily be a long reign or anything, I don't expect, you know, the title to become a premier um, piece of hardware for NXT, but I do think for right now, especially with all everything that's going on, I think that it's a really interesting and great storyline to follow. All right, moving on to the NXT Women's Championship between Raquel Gonzalez and Ember Moon. I got Raquel retaining. I think that this is an interesting matchup. Um, one could argue that they potentially rather see Shotzi versus Raquel, which I totally understand. But I think that uh, with Shotzi being injured, apparently, I think that Ember is a fine challenger. I mean, people forget she's a former NXT Women's Champion. Uh, in her first stint with NXT, she put together a really solid resume. I never really professed to be a, much of a fan, but I do consider her to be pretty talented and same for Raquel Gonzalez I think that she's continuing to grow and get better each time out and I think that with a veteran like Ember Moon this match can be pretty solid but like I said I got Raquel um retaining now to the toughest main event I've had to predict in some time the NXT championship carrying across defending his title against Adam Cole Kyle O'Reilly Pete Dunne and Johnny Gargano I am so torn <laughs> because my my heart is split in three ways. One, I love Adam Cole. He's my favorite competitor in NXT right now. I mean, especially just if you yeah, you guys have been listening, you know how much I loved his NXT title reign. Was the quickest two years of my life. Honestly, I would do it again. I'm sorry, one year, but. I would sit through it many times over just because of how amazing it is, how amazing he is. I mean, like he said, all they have to do to make Adam Cole feel special is ring the bell. And it shows time and time again he's one of the best performers in the world. And as I mentioned, my favorite in NXT. Then going in the other direction, there's Pete Dunne, who I also really freaking love and is in my top five of favorite wrestlers in the business today. I think that he's somebody who, since that NXT champion, I mean, NXT UK championship reign, which in my opinion is one of the greatest reigns that has been happening in recent memory, it's like everybody knows he's great he just doesn't have a title to prove it and of course uh this isn't me saying that the title makes a man the man definitely makes the title but i just feel like he's so deserving of it with just everything he's accomplished routinely having great matches you don't have to worry about him not being great not being able to deliver and so it's like i want great things for him and then there's johnny gargano who the way is Far in between my favorite faction in all of wrestling right now. It's so goofy and stupid, but I love it. Like, of course, when you get the talents of Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae, you have two of the best wrestlers 
in the business. I mean, they're both tremendous. Indy Hartwell, aka Indy Wrestling, has really progressed since her allegiance to them, as well as Austin Theory, who no one can really dispute that he's not a good wrestler. It's just he has not only become more entertaining to watch just because they kind of have him as being the dumb jock, but also he's getting able to showcase his in-ring ability and that athleticism. And so the way is just such a great faction right now. And I'm and I think that some more times than not, it happens to be my favorite part of episodes of NXT. Just because they're so entertaining in so many different ways. I mean I mean the fact I, I think about the uh quote, I didn't come here to get therapied on <laughs> quite often. <laughs> more often than I probably should, just because it was so funny to me. And that's pretty much what the way is. It's just so much so many memorable moments and it's just so great to see both um Indy and Candace finally get to hold some gold. Of course, shortly thereafter, Johnny loses his goal at the North American Championship. But, I mean, it was a great match, which is what Johnny Gargano, a.k.a. Johnny Takeover, is known for. So, was I stalling a bit and giving mad props to my three favorite competitors in this match? Yes. Why? Because I still don't know who I'm picking. It's tough. You know, Kyle O'Reilly has really remade himself. Am I on the cool Cal uh, bandwagon as of right now? No. But I acknowledge he's great. Carrion, he's out for me easily just because I feel like he's going to Raw. Because Lord knows Raw needs as many new competitors as it can possibly get because it's getting really stale. So, in essence, it's more like a fatal four-way. And, gosh, there's just so many, so many options. Um, But to kind of close out the show, because I know this was a long one. I'm gonna say I see Adam Cole regaining the NXT championship. And I think all will become right in the NXT world, in the NXT universe. But that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back to you guys next week with more content. And then, of course, Hell in a Cell predictions. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.